Well, good morning, everyone. Well, anyone who knows me understands that I'm not a big fan of crowded social settings. I'm kind of like the girl on The Incredibles. Sometimes I just want to disappear, right? Uh, all the noise is kind of mind-numbing to me. My brain sort of shuts down. I'm pretty sure it's just a, a coping mechanism for a, a situation where I'm pretty uncomfortable. But I think there could be somebody in that setting giving away free money, and I wouldn't know it because I'm kind of hidden in the corner in a world of my own. But let's change the scenario a little bit. Let's say we're in that same crowded social setting, but now my son's lost, and I'm looking for him. This becomes a whole different story. My mind is no longer numb. <laughs> I'm on high alert, and there could be Hundreds of voices in that place, but I would be able to hear the single voice of my son. And I would not rest. I would not hide. I would search for him until I found him. You see, same setting. Two different reactions based on a need that I have in my life. In our passage this morning, we have a very similar Scene. It's a crowded setting. It's in the middle of a, a public street. There's lots of people, lots of noise, lots of voices. But there's one voice that stands above all others. It's the voice of wisdom. And those who need her, those who are searching for her, they will hear her voice and they will listen. But those who are caught up in the moment, those who are, are living life just the way it is and they're fine without her, they'll pay no attention. They won't hear her voice because they're not listening when they don't have a need. But what wisdom has to say is a matter of life and death, quite literally. So it would be a huge mistake not to listen to what she has to say. But if you don't have a need, you won't be willing to listen. It's kind of like being a student in school, right? What's one of the questions that you hear them ask the teacher sometimes? I did. Uh, teacher, is this going to be on the test? <laughs> Why do you ask that question? Well, you ask the question because you want to know if you need to listen to what they have to say or if you can just tune out for a while, right? Well, even on a morning like this, I know some of you are here and you've already tuned out. Right? Is this going to be on the test? Some of you have all kinds of things going through your mind, things that you need to do, people you need to talk to. I mean, good grief, what a day. You've got the U.S. Open. You've got a baseball game coming up. You've got the NBA Finals. Okay? All this stuff is going on in your mind. Some of you just realized it's Father's Day. <laughs> you're trying to figure out what you're going to do between now and the time you get home. But if you're not careful, if we're not careful, then all this clutter that can be in our minds will distract us from the voice of wisdom that speaks through our passage this morning. I want you to understand, this is, this is on the test if that grabs your attention, okay? Listen to what I want you to hear. God's Word is living and active. His message is is life-changing. The voice of wisdom still speaks. The question is, are you listening? 
Are you listening? Do you have a need? Are you listening? So before we look at his word together, let's go to the Lord. Father, we uh, recognize how frail we are, how easy it is to be distracted uh, by things going on around us, things that capture our attention. Uh, Not all bad, often more so good. But we know that even those things can cause us to not hear your voice, to not listen, because we don't recognize the need we have in our lives. And there is not a person in this room this morning that does not have a need. So give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Help us to listen and hear the voice of wisdom spoken through your word, living and active in our lives today. That's our prayer. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. If you would, turn to Proverbs chapter 1. And we'll pick up where we left off last in verse 20. Before we do that, I want to remind you uh, the context of our passage. This is a conversation, remember, that's taking place between uh, parents and their children. You'll remember from last week, they, they gave that warning not to be enticed by the invitations made by sinners. The, the wise parents' instruction was clear. They said, do not accept their invitation. Why? Because it's a web of deceit that will ultimately become a trap. And that trap will take your life. So instead of listening to the voice of sinners, the parents now instruct their children, listen to the voice of wisdom. Listen to the voice of wisdom. And this is what she has to say. So pay attention. Verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. How long, O naive ones, will you love simplicity? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my Spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. The parents are describing wisdom as a person, right? She's speaking. She's lifting her voice. And so let me ask you a question as you read this this, uh, section of this passage. Does wisdom want to remain a mystery or does she want to be known and heard? She's shouting. She's crying out. She's in a public place. So I think we can clearly conclude that wisdom wants to be heard. She wants to have your attention. She says, I have what you're looking for if you were looking for something. You see, wisdom makes herself known. In fact, she takes the initiative. She goes to where the people are, the public places. Her voice is loud. Her voice is public. You see, unlike the invitation of the sinner, wisdom doesn't make deals behind closed doors. These are not secret pacts. I want you to listen very carefully, especially students and children. Let me have your attention. You need to understand that in the context 
of what's being said here by Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, he's telling you very clearly that wisdom will often make her appeal through the voice of your parents. That's how wisdom will speak into the lives of children and students. It's through those who care for them, those who lead and guide them. The question is, are you listening? Are you listening? Because we can all get lost in the noisy clutter of the world. And I'm convinced the longer we live, the noisier it gets. Right? Our cell phones, our text messages, our video games, they all demand our attention. And if we're not careful, we risk missing out on what wisdom has to say. And remember, it's a matter of life and death. So you don't want to miss it. And notice that she's calling out and she's speaking directly to the naive. She says, Oh, naive ones, how long will you love simplicity? You remember back in the beginning of Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 3, Solomon told us that Proverbs was written in part to give prudence to the naive. That's one of the purposes for which he wrote. And don't forget, as we walk through that together, we all agreed that at some level or another, we're all naive. But especially when we're young. But regardless of what season of life we're in, we can all be naive. In fact, I would go as far as to say, if you ever think you know it all, that's the place in which you're most naive. And that can happen at any point in life. But especially when we're young. And I believe wisdom speaks directly to the naive because we still have a chance to listen. There's still the ability to, to be uh, directed, which is kind of part of the problem because we listen to a lot of voices. We're easily swayed in one direction or another. We're enticed by those invitations to come take a look and see. We can be tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine. That's the naive. And so wisdom wants to get our attention. She says, turn to my reproof. Behold, listen to the promise. I will pour out my Spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. That is the promise of wisdom. Wisdom says there's a reward when you have a heart of repentance. A gift for those who turn from their own way and listen to what I have to say. It's the gift of the Spirit, the, the revelation of truth. Paul actually says the very same thing in the New Testament. When writing to Timothy, he says, it is repentance that leads to the knowledge of the truth. And here's why. You receive the gift of wisdom only when you realize how desperately you need it. You see, the fool is not interested because they're doing just fine on their own. They're not listening because they don't need it. As we learn back in verse 7, fools despise wisdom and understanding. They don't like to be told what to do. They shut their ears to sound advice. They close their eyes to uncomfortable truths. 
But God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And we see that echoed in the the next few verses. Look at verse 24. Wisdom, still speaking, says, Because I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will even laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes on like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come on you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they shall not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satisfied with their own devices. Once again, we see how deliberate wisdom is to gain the attention of the fool. She calls out. She reaches out. But the counsel she offers is refused. And then it talks about calamity and distress that that comes on like a storm. Now, thankfully, in recent weeks, we've had some storms, haven't we? And here in West Texas, we can see those storms coming in from a long way away. And even at night, we can hear them as that thunder rolls in and gets closer and closer. But let me use this illustration Wisdom is a little bit like Ron Roberts in the Storm Team Weather Lab, okay? She informs us of the danger within these storms. She tells us when we need to take shelter. But probably like most of us, when Ron Roberts comes on to give those announcements, we ignore them, right? we're more irritated than we are interested because they've just interrupted something that we were very involved in, our favorite TV show, right? We neglect her counsel. We refuse to listen. We carry on without making any adjustments to our life whatsoever. And oftentimes, the reason we don't listen is because we don't want to be corrected. We don't want to be told what to do. Remember, it says she's offering reproof, which means that she's telling us what you are doing will lead to destruction. There's a storm coming. It will take your life if you don't take shelter in me. But like we do with those warnings when Ron Roberts comes on TV, we ignore what's being said. Because we've determined on our, in our own mind, and we do this, I do this. When he comes on, oh, he's always exaggerating. It's not that big of a deal. Well, in the very same way, the fool can look at those warnings and convince themselves that there are no consequences to the sin in their life. That there's no reason to make any adjustments because it's really just not that big of a deal. And then disaster that wisdom promises actually begins to take place. Notice in verse 26 it says, 
your calamity, your disaster. This is not something that happened out of ignorance. This is a choice you made. You're getting what you asked for. You're caught in your own trap. Or as Job says, you've sown the wind and now you're going to reap the whirlwind. You might ignore the consequences of sin, but listen to me, the consequences of sin will not ignore you. That storm will come. And, and wisdom has an interesting reaction, doesn't she? When, when all this happens, it says she laughs. She laughs. And when the fool calls out to her, it says she doesn't answer. Wisdom, who was once calling in the street, raising her voice to the people, is now silent. If you're like me, you, you see this unfold and, and you think, well, that seems kind of cruel, doesn't it? I mean, they're calling out, and she's not answering. Why wouldn't she answer? But I want you to see what's happening here. Remember, this is the fool. The same person who was unwilling to listen to begin with. They scoffed at wisdom's rebuke. They arrogantly proclaimed, I don't need your help. I'm doing just fine on my own. But now they're not doing so fine on their own. They find themselves in the middle of the storm that wisdom had promised them would come. But there's still something missing in this request as they call out to wisdom. Do you see it? What did Paul say leads to the knowledge of truth? Repentance, right? Repentance. Verse 29 says that calamity came because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. And by all accounts, they're still unwilling to do so. And I want you to see why. See, we we defined fearing the Lord as a worshipful submission before God. Remember how we talked about what C.S. Lewis said when he says, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. He says, a proud man is always looking down at things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something above you. A fool may call for help, but it is a cry for assistance, not a cry of surrender. And there's a very big difference between the two. You see, fools want wisdom to help them out, to get back on their feet but they're still not willing to fall on their knees in worshipful submission. At the end of verse 31 it says, they eat of the fruit of their own way and they get their fill of their own devices. Now, don't make the mistake of wrongly assuming that the foolish person is just some idiot Right? Some foolish person who doesn't know anything. They're not smart. Because that's not true. Some of the, most, the smartest, most successful people in the world today are the biggest fools you will ever meet. So this is not an issue of competence. This is an issue of arrogance. It's not an issue of competence. It's an issue of arrogance. And we all have to be careful with that because we all are tempted to be prideful, 
to fall into that trap of arrogance. It's an attitude that may profess faith in God. It says a lot of the right things, but then it takes matters into their own hands. I know God will help me, but I just need to do my part. And I believe that that attitude is a religious excuse for sinful arrogance. Hear me. It is a religious excuse for for sinful arrogance. And here's why. God doesn't need your help. He's not looking for a partnership. He's looking for a heart of surrender that leads to worshipful dependence. Let's look at it this way. I want you to think again to Adam and Eve in the garden. And I want us to think about the instructions that God had given them because there was only one tree in that entire garden that God prohibited them from eating from. Remember what that tree was? The knowledge of good and evil, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the only tree in all the garden that was prohibited. Now, why wouldn't God want them to eat fruit from this tree? We know from what Scripture says, everything about it looked good. Well, to answer that question, let me ask you this question. Why would Adam and Eve need to seek wisdom on their own if they were walking faithfully in fellowship with God? Why would they need the knowledge of good and evil if they were walking in faithful fellowship with God? Here's the answer. They wouldn't. Which I believe is the reason it was prohibited. Because it promoted a dependence upon God for something that would be disastrous for them to seek on their own. Their sin was the decision to seek for themselves what only God could provide. And we have all tasted the bitter fruit from that tree because we've done the same thing. That's the point of the passage. Taking matters into your own hands is the root of all sin. But we're not quite at the end, so let's look at verse 32. It says, for the waywardness of the naive shall kill them, and the complacency of the fools shall destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and shall be at ease from the dread of evil. Wisdom has nothing to offer the arrogant because the arrogant don't, don't feel that they have anything that's a need in their life. Their destruction is a result of their own choice. And notice that, It's complacency that destroys the fool. That's interesting, isn't it? Complacency. In the original language, that that idea of complacency uh, gives this idea of, of peace in the midst of abundance. That's what complacency is. Peace in the midst of abundance. It's a false sense of security because of the hope that is based on what I have right now. What have I what have I what I have accomplished? In my life. Peace in the midst of abundance. I look around at what I've achieved and I think, this is good life. I'm comfortable. I've got what I need. I've got what I have. I like where I'm at. This is the attitude where I gauge the success of my life based on the happiness in my life. 
That's my primary goal. And listen, parents, we are equally as guilty of this when it comes to raising our kids because what do we say? I just want them to be happy. Right? And if that's the primary goal that we have for their life, then we are at great risk of leading them down some very disastrous paths. Because happiness can bring a false sense of security for those who've chosen to live a life apart from dependence upon God. For those who've decided to to kind of take matters into their own hands. Because we need to teach our kids and we need to to learn for ourselves that, that if we trust in the Lord, that there is the ability to have joy within the midst of circumstances that don't make us very happy. I mean, that's why we looked at that passage where Paul said, and it just amazes me, he says, I'm overwhelmed with joy in all my affliction. One of the best pictures of this is from a story that I'm sure many of you are familiar with about a a man by the name of Horatio Spafford. That name may sound familiar. Let me tell you a little bit about his life. This man lived as a Chicago lawyer in the 1800s. He was very successful. Had a thriving practice a a beautiful home, a wife, four daughters, and a son. He was a strong Christian man, but his life was not without tragedy. In fact, he and his wife lost that only son early in his short life. Not too long after that, you've heard of the Chicago fire, a very famous fire that, that hit Chicago. It destroyed almost every real estate investment that Mr. Spafford had made, that he had built his wealth and and uh, success upon. Well, not too long after that terrible fire that destroyed most of what he had invested in, he decided that his family needed to get away, really for recovery, to deal with the tragedies that had happened in their life. So they decided they were going to go to Europe. And uh, he sent his wife and four daughters on ahead of him because unexpectedly he had business to take care of in Chicago, but he would be joining them shortly. He found out only after a few days of them having embarked to go to Europe that they had run into something, uh, the ship that they were on. It had sank, and his four daughters were killed. Only his wife survived. It was then that he made his way to care for his grieving wife who was in Europe. And on his way, he wrote the now famous words, When sorrows like sea billows roll, It is well, it is well with my soul. See, happiness is based on life going well. Joy is grounded on the conviction that it is well with my soul, no matter whether life is going well or not. Fools seek security apart from God, turning to Him only when they need a helping hand. But they will live for all eternity, eating the bitter fruit of going their own way. It's a false security that the Scripture says very clearly leads to destruction. But notice that wisdom gives one final promise. Look again at verse 33. It says, But he who listens to me shall live securely, and shall be at ease from the dread of evil. Wisdom promises 
true and lasting security. A peace that comes from from no dread of of evil. Now, did she promise an easy and trouble-free life? (laughs) No, she did not. But unlike the false security of the fool who finds peace in what they have, Wisdom promises security based on the truth of who has you. You see the difference. The fool finds security in what they have. The wise person finds security in who has them. You see, your worshipful submission to a loving God puts you under the protection of His sovereign care. And the promise He makes is to give you freedom from the dread of evil. Now I want us to think about that. Because what does it mean to to dread something? (laughs) When when is that going to happen, right? When is that dread coming? Well, that's part of the fear. You don't know. All you know is that there's evil. Some evil, yet future. It's a fear of things yet to come. Things that are out of your control. All those anxious scenarios that we create in our minds. But what God promises is the security of His sovereign care. And when we put our faith in that, then it removes the fear of things yet future, that dread of evil. It's a peace that comes from knowing who's got you and that He will never leave you or forsake you. Again, that doesn't mean life will be easy. Or that bad things won't happen. But what it is saying is that they will not have the last word. The security of wisdom promises an eternal security. It's a promise of God's protection from the power of sin's evil outcome. An outcome that fools willingly choose when they reject the hand of wisdom and seek for themselves what only God can provide. And ultimately, this eternal security that's being promised is found only through faith in Jesus Christ. Because remember what we said in the very beginning. Jesus Christ is wisdom personified. That's the voice that is speaking. Like we see in our passage, He he was not hidden. He didn't remain a mystery. He made Himself known, right? It says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That we beheld His glory. The glory of God. That there was a revelation in Christ of what grace and truth is all about. He's taking the initiative. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He lifted His voice. He rebuked our sin. And in the end, He stretched out His hands on the cross. Like the voice of wisdom, Jesus promised to pour out His Spirit on all who repent and believe. He promises forgiveness for all those who humbly surrender and abandon their willful choice to go their own way and trust instead in God's promise. Of provision. It's an eternal security, a lasting peace, a hope laid up for us in heaven. Not here, but there. That's the promise of God through wisdom 
personified. Our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the voice of wisdom is alive and well. But so are the invitations of sin. So the question is, are you listening? Maybe the better question should be, are you listening to the right voice? Because I believe there are areas in each of our lives where we're still naive. Which means we could go either way. We're in a place where we could be tempted in one direction or the other. It all depends on our attitude, our heart before the Lord. Wisdom calls us to let go. And sin convinces us to take control. See the difference? Wisdom calls us to let go. Sin convinces us to take control. And thankfully, Scripture helps us to know which voice we're listening to. I had conversations in recent weeks with those who have expressed an interest in baptism. And one of the things that I'll tell them is I'll say, okay, do this for me. If you walk up to a tree and you see some beautiful red fruit hanging down from that tree, what is that tree likely to be? And without exception, every one of them has said, it's an apple tree. I said, how do you know that? Well, because it's got apples hanging off of it. Very good. (laughs) You know that tree by the fruit that is displayed on that tree. The same thing is true in our life. We know what's inside our heart by the fruit that's seen in our life. And when we've accepted sin's invitation to take control, this is the fruit that we can expect to see. Scripture tells us this. So listen. It says that we will have that arrogant attitude that says we'll partner with God but not completely surrender to Him. It's a grace. Instead of a grace towards others, we find ourselves becoming bitter towards people. We seem to live on edge. We're prone to outbursts of anger. Instead of encouraging others, we find ourselves jealous of others. Instead of fellowship, we find strife. We become defensive, even to the point of being paranoid about what others are trying to do because that's our focus. Fear drives away faith. And we begin to turn our mind to to mind-numbing habits, to to pleasure-seeking outlets as places of comfort. We shut our ears to sound advice and we close our eyes to uncomfortable truths. When we've accepted sin's invitation to take control, that's the fruit we see being revealed in our life. But when true faith is evident in our heart, a different fruit is exposed. Scripture tells us that there's a lasting peace It helps us be patient towards others because we realize when our focus is on God and not on others, we realize how patient He's been towards us. And that becomes our motivation to being patient towards others. We forgive others because our attention is on God and we realize how much He's forgiven us. We give grace to those who don't deserve it because we receive grace when we didn't deserve it. We have self-control, which I think literally means you don't let self take control. Because your life is lived in humble submission to the Lord. These outcomes, this fruit, is based on what you're seeking in life. 
And with that, I want to kind of leave you with one final thought that I want you to consider this week. We see it kind of woven throughout the words of our passage, and it is this. We diligently seek that which we desperately need. Right? We diligently seek that which we desperately need. Just think of the illustration I gave you in the beginning. That crazy scenario where at some point I'm hiding in the corner, at another point I'm looking for my son. What's the difference? I have a need. And the same is true for all of us. You see, fools can read their Bible out of obligation. But only the wise will study it with a truth that produces life. Fools can know that truth, but only the wise are changed by that truth. Fools remain isolated, live in the shadows. Wise men walk in fellowship with one another in the light of fellowship with God. Fools maintain control and call out to God for help, but only the wise relinquish control and call out to God and surrender. Why? Because they need Him. And you will always diligently seek that which you desperately need. And so I want you to write these four questions down and I want you to think about them this week, okay? Get your paper, get your pencil, four questions. First question is this, what voice are you listening to? We agree that there's lots of voices. We agree that wisdom is alive and well and calling out. But there are also plenty of invitations from sin. Which voice are you listening to? That's the first question. Second question, are there areas in your life where you're being foolish? Are there areas in your life where you're being foolish? We're all at some level naive. We can be swayed in one direction or the other. Have you been naive and foolish and moving in the wrong direction? Are there areas in your life where you're being foolish? Thirdly, what is the desperate need that you're diligently seeking? What is it? What is the desperate need that you are diligently seeking? And maybe to help answer that question, you can ask yourself this next question. What does your life say about who's really in control? Okay, look at the fruit. Is there peace or is there anger? Is there bitterness or is there forgiveness? Is there love or is there hatred? What does your life say about who's in control? I want you to hear very clearly that wisdom is alive and well. The voice that we see in our passage still speaks to us today. It is still as eager to get your attention as it ever has been. And it's speaking, I think, even louder and louder in our world because the distractions seem to be getting louder and louder to oppose her. The question is, are you listening? So maybe this week, be a little more intentional about listening to that voice of wisdom. We have one more thing before we finish up. Let me close in prayer. And if I could ask the Arledge family to come forward, please. Father, thank you for the time together this morning. Thank you for the reminder that uh, your voice of wisdom still speaks. And we see that most clearly in wisdom personified. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who 
called out, rebuked our sin, who extended His hands on the cross when He gave His life for the payment of that sin. And Father, I pray that uh, through this week we would be able to be honest with ourselves, that we wouldn't be foolish and ignore what You're saying to us in our life, but we would listen. And we would be directed by Your Spirit to hear what You have to say. And I pray that we are faithful to do that this week. And we ask this in Your name. Amen.